Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Diminishing Returns. It's another annual special this week. I'm Alan, this is Sol. <laughs> Hello. Today we are looking at the Oscars Best Picture nominations. We've done this every year for five years now? Yeah, 2017 was the first one. So what's that? 17, 18, 19, 20, 21? Five, five years, years yeah. Uh, if, if, uh, if there's any loyal fans listening, then they will already know that we have... Um, discussed the Oscar nominations in a, a diminisode, and today we will actually be going through, we've watched all the films, and we will actually be reviewing them one by one. So should we should we dive right in? Um, we, yes. We've sort of set a tradition now, Alan, of ordering the best picture noms in a kind of humorous way, and this year's no different. The The first year, <laughs> I think we went in the order that I thought they were most likely to, to win. Okay, yeah. And then I, I don't remember what we did for the following year, but I know last year we did them in chronological order, like when they're set and we travelled through time in a time machine. Oh, of their period, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. That, that was, was a nice one, yeah. That was very good fun, yeah. <laughs> this year I was racking my head like, what's what's the through line we can order this according to? And are you aware that the Oscars have just brought in this uh, diversity inclusion criteria which i think takes effect for next year's awards oh they actually put in numbers on things putting quotas on there yeah 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 there's like an oh, actual okay, okay. flow chart system now it's one of the, you have to fill out a form if you're submitting your film to the oscars it's essentially to the effect of you have to meet two out of three of each criteria is there a woman in your film yes no is there a disabled person in your film yes no it's that kind of a, a box ticking exercise were there um internships available to people from underrepresented groups on the production of your film it's it's a whole series of things like that and i thought okay i yeah, will try <laughs> i will try and quantify which film this year was the most diverse out of all of them using okay. numbers <laughs> So what I've done, Alan, Alan, is I've I've built a spreadsheet. I've gone through putting a little number next to each film, and I've put them in order. Dare I ask what your categories were? <laughs> we'll go through it as we go, right? To start off, uh, what film do you think is the least? We'll go from least to most diverse out of all the films. Uh, which one do you think is the least diverse of our eight Best Picture noms this year? Uh, the Father. Oh, really? No, no, I'm, I'm afraid you're wrong, Alan. Damn it. I suppose there's women in it. Well, it depends what your categories are. Uh... Should I tell? Do you want me to tell you what the categories are broadly? I'm not going to tell you all of yeah. them. Loads, but I've got a section four. Uh, is the lead actor, and then a racial minority, a cis woman, trans, disabled, over the age of seventy, or from any other minority group. Oh, that's where I got caught by the father. Just because he's an Anthony Hopkins doesn't mean he's not. He's so old that he's got exactly, and therefore exactly. Tick. And then I've done the same thing for is there a significant supporting actor who is all of those things? And then the same for is there a second significant supporting actor who is all of those things? That's the actor, not the character. And the second one there is just, you know, because it might be a fluke, that one-off, but if there's more than one, that's like, oh, cool. And then I've got extra points for is the lead character from an underrepresented group? You get a point for each of the groups. Is the director, you know, X, Y, Z, is a half of or more of the writers X, Y, Z, a half or more of the producers X, Y, Z? Uh, is the subject matter's primary focus on a, an underrepresented group? You get a point for each group. And I'll tell you now, 5.5 points is how many the bottom scoring film got. Is that good? I don't, I don't know what your, your system is. Well, it's the lowest number of the bunch, so it's bad. Well, that's got to be Mank. It is Mank. Well done, it is Mank. Just that is our least no diverse one. film this year. They did put a woman in it, 
<laughs> There's two women. <laughs> oh, in there was it. a couple of women in there. Yeah, yeah. That's where it got point. all its points. Do you, do you want to guess what the points were? So there's two women. <laughs> Uh, and and you will notice it's five point five points, so I awarded a half point here, which I haven't done anywhere else. Is that because like um, uh, John Ford's in it, and he's only got one eye? <laughs> Someone playing um, John Ford. Similar, similar. No, so basically, the, the the women. There's two women actors. There's two women characters. That's four points right there. You get you get in double bubble on women. Yeah, because it might be, Alan, a character who's a woman played by a man, in which case you only get one point. <laughs> but surely that's that's uh, representative of transgender or something. No, like I'm not talking about a trans woman. I'm talking about a man. Look, if Eddie, if Eddie Murphy is in the clumps, I'm not giving him a point for that, all right? I'll give him a point for being a black man, <laughs> but I will not give him a point for donning a dress and playing a woman. <laughs> Hmm, okay. Anyway, okay, we've got 1.5 <laughs> points in the category is the lead character from an underrepresented group. And this is a good example of that because Gary Oldman does not fulfill either of these uh, qualifications, but the character does. Because he's an alcoholic? No. he He's Jewish, Alan. That's one point. Ju- one point for Jewish. Yeah, Mankowitz. Oh, I just know him as Mank, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, Gary Oldman, of course, is not. And um, half a point because he does have a broken leg for a bit of the film, which means he was disabled for part of the film. I just want to go on record that I'm not fully approving of this system. <laughs> just, I'm just throwing that out there. Look, I'm, I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to be as close to the, the actual Oscars themselves, all right? This is what the Academy has decided needs to be done. I actually did look at the Academy's rules and I tried to copy it as much as I could, but the problem I ran into were things like... It, it's difficult to quantify percentages of their crew because I can't just like go on IMDb and go, oh, well, that sounds like a Chinese name. Maybe they're Chinese. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, I didn't want to get into that dicey territory. <laughs> And similarly, some of these things like, you know, LGBTQ, for example, um, a lot of people are gay or bi or other, uh, and you wouldn't know it. So, you know, I just thought, well, I'm going to tweak it a bit. So that's the system we have here. Mank has 5.5 points. But what about the film itself? (laughs) We've already talked about it, so. What do you want to do here? Should we cut to a clip from our review of the year episode and and then move on? We will indeed, yes. Let me ask you a question, right? <clears throat> oh, God. All right, he didn't like it, Calvin. Didn't like it. <laughs> Who is this film for? Oh. <laughs> um, I think it's for David Fincher to honour his dad who wrote it. Yeah, I think this film is for David Fincher. I think that's who it's for. Hmm. It's for... like I, I know... I think I know more about kind of films and stuff than the average person. I know more about film history. I know more about old Hollywood. And I don't know anything about Herman Mankiewicz. Well, I know he wrote Citizen Kane. Like, that's that's about it. That's fine, though. You don't need to know about someone for a biographic film to have value or entertainment value or whatever. No, you don't. But there's a whole world of setting here. People like Lewis B. Meyer and William Randolph Hearst and Marion Davis. And I know a little bit about all those people. But, you know, I think most of the current film-watching public don't. I don't know if you really get enough information here to really tell... Like, there's... If I hadn't watched Citizen Kane three weeks ago, there's loads of stuff here I wouldn't have got. I just wouldn't have understood or wouldn't have seen the reference yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So I'm glad we watched it quite recently. This feels like a class, one of those classic examples of Hollywood eating itself and just kind of like someone who's in that world in this little bubble, not realizing that outside of that, there's a whole world where people don't give a toss 
about your little bit of history. The personal story that we actually get here is not engaging enough to make up for that. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I kind of agree. Um, the, the film was written by Jack Fincher, who is David Fincher's late father. You should have set off earlier. I think, I think there was an air of like, oh, I'm going to make dad's screenplay and that's a way to yeah. honour my dad. Now, it's not badly written, but it's perhaps lacking a, a an in point for anyone who isn't yeah, yeah, a yeah. Herman Mankiewicz biographer <laughs> yes, exactly. um, yeah it's a, it's a niche audience <laughs> and his life isn't or at least the slice of it we get here isn't that incredibly interesting or compelling to really draw you in i guess there's some really nice moments in this film really nice scenes they mostly involve tom burke as orson wells unsurprising i guess orson wells tends to dominate things when he's in them but he's not he's really a very much a supporting character in this he pops yeah he's up in about three times. scenes yeah but you know it's it's beautifully shot i wouldn't expect anything less from a david fincher film it is of course kind of evoking the style of citizen that's Kane another, that's another thing the i 40s. hate by the way going oh we'll shoot it in black and white because it's set in the olden days it's black and white days yeah, let's do it in black and white. Let's do the sound on one track so that it feels like Citizen Kane. Yeah. Fuck off. <laughs> I think that can be a valid way of making something. And I think the likes of Ed Wood, for example. If you're going to do all that, if you're going to do all that and you're going to, look, I'm evoking 1940s cinema, we're going to make it 1940s style. But you haven't, have you? You haven't shot it in a 1940s style. You've just done it in black and white. Commit to it as an artistic project or fuck off. <laughs> Oh my i'm annoyed and david fincher i feel like david fincher has like hit this point of where he's like lost his mind now and he's going to turn <laughs> into stanley kubrick which is not necessarily a bad thing because obviously we might get some great films out of it but i think he's insane i think he does has no context anymore of why he's making films he just wants to make his film exactly how he wants to make it and everyone else can just maybe get on board or piss off i'll tell you what i did really like little detail with regards to how they put the thing together you're probably gonna hate it <laughs> i like the way that the instead of just putting like hollywood boulevard or whatever down at the bottom of the screen oh yeah they put exterior hollywood boulevard day i was okay with that it's a little bit gimmicky but it was in theme with the film so that's fine particularly when they had brackets flashback I thought that yeah. was oh, it's such a nice way of um, explaining that this is a flashback to us. It's, yeah, you know. all right with that. To be honest with you, yeah. did you did you like how <laughs> in this scene we in this film we see Herman Mankiewicz from the age of like thirty to forty two or something, played by Gary Oldman, who's what sixty five, <laughs> and they make pretty much no effort to make him look younger at all. <laughs> I tell you what, little interesting fact I found out here when i was just reading about this david fincher and gary oldman share an ex-wife <gasps> oh really yeah, both married to this woman who like, at separate times obviously uh i don't know i don't remember the name she's not famous or anything. oh she's not an actor anyway i didn't know the name oh but they both got kids with her Good which Lord. one was first fincher oh really because yes. he's called gary oldman so you'd expect he'd be the first one and then well, he is fincher older than david fincher new one. not that much older but then, but yeah, Gary Oldman was that he married to Uma Thurman, wasn't he? When he's thirty years older than her. Well, look, I didn't dislike it. I must say, for the first half, I was thinking like, what is the point of this film? Yeah, it was like the last half hour. It kind of kicked into gear, and I was like, okay, I'm actually enjoying it now. But it's one of David Fincher's worst films. I'll say that 
up mm. front. I think it's it feels somehow quite unadventurous for him, doesn't it? Yeah, un- yeah, un- it really did. Yeah, like uh, because the stylized feel he's gone for is just like film, <laughs> like that's the style. It's a, in the style of a film, so it's yeah, it, it yeah. is yeah, underwhelming somehow. But having said that, solid performances all around. Some nice moments, yeah. a nice bit of Hollywood history, which I do actually have an interest in. Yeah, that's it. There, there were these little nuggets in there that I was like, oh, that's interesting and really nicely kind of conveyed. And like I say, I did get, once they finally kicked into gear with the plot, as in he wants a writing credit on this film, I did find myself engaging with it. It's just it took a good like hour before any of that really started so i mean i I can't say i disliked it but i completely get where you're coming from and agree with uh i i give it a really low seven out of ten yeah well like obviously i've had some complaints but i I gave it a six it's (laughs) it's well it's well made it's it's a it's an engaging it's not that engaging actually to be fair but you know good acting there's a there's a character there it's dealing with this bit citizen Kane history which I am. It was, it's slightly interesting. I just not. I don't know. I think I would enjoy this film more than most people, more than the average cinema yeah. goer. Oh, completely. And I gave yeah, it a six. Absolutely. So there you go. That's how I think about it. It was one of those films where I kept getting ready to be like, you know what? I don't like it. And then there'd just be one scene that would draw me in, and I'd be like, oh, I, I like that bit. And it kind of earn another ten minutes from me. It was that yeah. kind of an experience where it was like, okay. Um, and I, I, I did factor it into my directorial uh, filmography list, Alan. You'll be pleased to know. Oh, yeah. So David Fincher, I believe, has dropped down a place. Oh. It's lowered his average, so that's mm-hmm. never a good thing, is it? He's now number 19 on my list, David oh, Fincher. Dear. Oh, that was a good clip. Not good enough, though, really. For a David Fincher, Gary Oldman, Oscar yeah. buzz. Ten Oscar nominations. Yeah, well... There are even that many Oscars? Yeah, but bear in mind, most of those are technical awards for things like the, the cinematography Ooh, and the set and design, Ooh. which, it, it, well, I think it's got really good, you know, techniques. <laughs> even the music, I think, is really good. So I think that's justified. Uh, I do think it's one of the weaker films at the Oscars this year, though. We haven't touched on the pandemic and its impact on the last year in film, but, you know, nothing came out. So with that in mind, I think it's quite remarkable how solid a selection of films this is. I I won't spoil things too much, but this year in film, Oscar-wise, stands toe-to-toe with other years that the Oscars have given us in the past you know i like a list alan one of, one of my list is an average like oscars by year I'll, I'll average out my scores for all the best picture noms oh yeah and um i think the score i gave this year's films was the same score that i gave the films of something like 2013 or 14 so it, it you know it's standing toe-to-toe with uh, past years so let's do the next one then yeah which one do you think it is I think the next one... I'll tell you right now, the next one has six points, so it's only 0.5 more than the Mank. I'm going to go with Nomadland. It's got a woman in it. Uh, No, it's The Trial. But then there's no one else in it. The Trial of the Chicago 7. (laughs) There's no women in that. I will give you that. Absolutely no women in The Trial of Chicago 7. (laughs) Well, there's one woman. Very, yeah, but there's there's two... There is actually... Okay, I can think of three women who actually spoke... And that was only because I watched it, like, yesterday. <laughs> but, yeah. Okay. Go on, then. We've got 
two points for Sasha Baron Cohen, I think, here. We've got a racial minority what? supporting actor <laughs> and uh, any other... What, what racial minority is he? It's because he's black. <laughs> <laughs> but not only is he Jewish, but he's a practicing Jew, so he gets another point there for, for the religion side of it. Is that, is that how it works? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we also have uh, okay. someone over the age of 70 in Frank Langella, who is oh, yeah. extremely over the age of 70 in this film. What about the film, though? What about the film? The Trial of the Chicago 7. Yeah, a, a very long, gestating film, this one. This has been in the works for a long time, with Sasha Baron Cohen attached to it, almost as long as his Bohemian Rhapsody film that he actually didn't make in the end. That's interesting. I didn't know that. I mean, it's obviously a story that's been told a few times in different media. Uh, obviously, it's based on a true story, yeah. so it's been knocking about since the 70s. I don't think Aaron Sorkin was involved until quite recently. So did Sasha Baron Cohen, was he pushing for this? Was he like, oh, I like this? Project. He really was, yeah. I, I listened to an interview with Aaron Sorkin where he said once he came aboard the project, he got a phone call from Sasha Baron Cohen. Uh, and Sasha Baron Cohen basically said, yeah, just so you know, I'm still attached to this um, film. So I have like first dibs on the role, just so you're aware. And uh, <laughs> the way Aaron Sorkin plays it is he was kind of like, oh, yeah, cool but the way he worded it made it sound a bit more like maybe Sasha Baron Cohen wouldn't have been his first pick. But, you know, <laughs> Sasha Baron Cohen's Oscar nominated here. He's one of the people that uh, stood out. Yes, I'd like to talk about that. Yeah, I mean, he's not the performance I'd nominate. It's, I think he's the worst performance in the film. I think that's fair. Now, I'm not saying that's bad. I think the performances are good overall. But the fact that he has been nominated is somewhat ridiculous i think it's almost bizarro world-esque like it might be a some sort of joke maybe session baron cohen's doing a, a prank on us all i think it's kind of people trying to give him a bit of attention for borat um like spilling over the goodwill from borat i think he's sort of been campaigning a bit more than other people have i i don't know is that guy he's playing well known in america yeah yeah, well, was at the time, yeah. Yeah, so I think there's that as well. But no, I completely agree. You know, Mark, Mark Rylance would probably be the guy I'd pick oh. out of this film to... Mark Rylance was, yeah, absolutely blew it away. And he he's just sort of quietly excellent, yeah. Mark Rylance. Yeah, yeah, and I know absolutely. we're not exactly breaking new ground there, you know, people know, but... Uh, yeah, fantastic performance from him. And I thought generally just great acting all around. Um, yeah, yeah, Frank yeah. Langella really strikes a nice tone with that thing. Mm. I don't think I've ever seen Jeremy Strong in anything before, and he was excellent. I will say, uh, this is not my favourite of the, the nominees, but it was definitely the most engaging of them. I started watching really? it, it grabbed me, and I sat there and watched it, and I was completely uh, engrossed. Mm. In terms of the, the Chicago 7, obviously I know it's a real thing. I kind of vaguely knew what it was, but I didn't know what the fallout was. I didn't, I'm not familiar with American history enough to kind of go, oh, well, I know exactly what happens. Yeah. So there was an element of... Uh, suspense for me as well actual genuine yeah, yeah, kind of yeah. like oh i wonder what's going to happen i will say i what happened was exactly what i expected to happen from beginning yeah. to end so it didn't surprise me in that sense but i was really engaged totally pulled me in well uh, in a way that i didn't quite expect i i think there's a very unfair snobbishness about aaron sorkin now in the film community um i think he's an excellent writer an excellent filmmaker i do think he's I would rather watch an Aaron Sorkin film, you know, written by him and directed by someone else. <laughs> uh, but mm. if he's insisting on directing these films himself from now on, then that's fine. I don't know if you saw Molly's Game a few years ago. I, I watched that earlier yeah. this year, um, and I was surprised at how 
fantastic it was. I was really impressed with it. Trial of the Chicago 7, for me, was similar, but I wasn't instantly captivated. It kind of it was a it took until about halfway through to really you know draw me in and, and captivate mm. me well let me let me just pick up on your aaron sorkin point then because i think these nominations are a really good example of what you're talking about i think which is aaron sorkin i think is getting out of date like that style i think it's excellent like i said it's completely engaging but just those moments in the trial of chicago 7 that just feel a little bit now like kind of dramatic clunky clunky <laughs> moments of uh, of uh, you know emotional catharsis or whatever yeah, like yeah. everyone standing up at the end like the the man looking at his child and his child looks over him with pride mm. and like that whole kind of shoehorned in sort of little bit of story for him yeah and, and that sort of thing i think is out of date now bear in mind i watched the trial of chicago 7 pretty much straight after um i watched judas and the black messiah and that is mm. a very jarring tone shift for something that is dealing with a quite a similar concept it really made the trial of chicago 7 feel like the comedy version of this it was like here's people mm-hmm. who are kind of dying in a war zone uh in on american streets and then here's some people playing at protesting and having fun with it and that just because of the way i watched them that did not lend itself well to the chicago seven and i will say to their credit to aaron sorkin's credit they acknowledge that in the film in the trial of Sh- trial of the chicago seven we see the character um Se- steel seal the-, the black guy basically who is treated totally differently and he even says at some point like to you this guy this is just fun to you guys this is like our lives but this is just a publicity for you he it doesn't he says it a better, better written than that but um i like that they kind of acknowledge that within the film it's like hey we're telling this story we appreciate there are other bigger stories to be told yeah after i watched it i i was read i read all about the case and i was reading about the different people and what they did after and stuff like that it totally grabbed me and, and got my interest that is obviously a good thing i think but like i say it just felt very kind of slick and aaron sorkin and it's just sometimes you need a bit more grit a bit more dirt which is i think what we're going to get when we talk about something like judas and the black messiah i i I think the best way to describe this film is it's a film that even in any other year would always be nominated for best picture but would never stand a chance in hell of winning it and that's fine Mm. you know it's it's just solid enjoyable you know i could watch this with my mom and i'm sure she'd enjoy it and i i enjoyed it um i give it a a low eight out of ten which i think is quite generous but i did find it very entertaining and quite informative i gave it an eight i guess it would be a low eight yeah i agree with that and um yeah yeah, this does feel like something that could have been made in 1991 you know i think it would have been largely the same exactly yeah um and i don't think there's anything wrong with that but like i say i think it's interesting that this has been nominated alongside other things that are looking at american society and problems in american society and this is the one that feels old-fashioned and a kind of bit out of style next up what do you think is the third uh least diverse film of the bunch this year alan nomadland no 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 i've gone with the father next ah must be nomadland next then because there's, <laughs> there's only like four people in it so there can't be that many boxes to be getting ticked i've got uh i've got eight points down for the father okay you got an old man with dementia that must be at least yeah. two points well you so yeah you've got uh, anthony hopkins is over 70 the character is over 70 and disabled yes he's welsh <laughs> <laughs> just kidding yeah 
Uh, uh, there's a woman in it. There's three women in it prominently. Yes, 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 yes. So uh, that's two points there. Well, four because the Mar- characters as well. And the subject matter, of course, being about uh, that disability. So that's totted up to a total of eight points using my little spreadsheet here. <laughs> when I first like loaded this film up, which was the first film I watched after the Best Picture nominations had come in, um, I think I'd seen half of the films already, and I was like, right, I better watch these other four. So this was like the first one I watched, knowing it was up for the Oscar. But it was a film that I wanted to see anyway. Um, I'd heard good things. It's got Olivia Colman in it. I, it was annoying me initially. I, I wasn't, I didn't dislike it, but I was getting a bit annoyed. Like, I, this kind of is all very obvious and I feel like I've seen it before. You know, the whole thing of like the, the actors being swapped out for different actors and so on. And I don't really know what happened, but somewhere along the line watching it, I just got really into it. And it just drew me in. Mm. I just went with it. And I found it incredibly powerful. I think it completely and utterly worked on the emotional level it was trying to uh, evoke mm-hmm. for me. And to be honest, I think 90% of that is Anthony Hopkins. And I genuinely think this might be a career best performance from him. Mm-hmm. I, I will say that I've not seen you know, the full body of his work, nothing close to it. I've seen the kind of big, obvious Anthony Hopkins films everyone's seen, and maybe one or two others. But this is the first time I've watched Anthony Hopkins in something and been blown away by it. I I thought he was just phenomenal, and it felt like a culmination of, you know, a career as an actor just kind of coming together in this role. I I thought he was incredible. Uh, I I largely agree with you there. I think what pulled like what suddenly pulled you in or whatever whatever is that i don't think there's anything special here i think it's just really well done it's yeah. completely evocative <laughs> and that performance draws you in there's in the, i think the writing is excellent in that it's all very natural yeah. but also just the smallest things being dripped out going hang on that's a bit odd what's going on here because you know how we jo- we kind of joke about how i like films where nothing happens yes well this is the kind of epitome of that like nothing really happens but yeah, it's so yeah. engaging. Yeah, I found it very yeah emotionally engaging. Um, I haven't got had experience with anyone with dementia at all, so it's not something I related to particularly. But I still was totally on board with it. And um, obviously, this is based on a play that has been performed for quite some time and is yeah, done very it well. felt like a play. Yeah, it totally feels like a film play. I I don't think that's necessarily a failing because I think mm. although it's not cinematic, it is still beautifully shot. It's very nice, yeah, very yeah, yeah, nicely completely. put together. It works. Um, and I think that that style where we're trapped in the in the room or whatever really aids it. I also think that this probably works better than the play. Obviously, I haven't seen the play, so I'm sort of shooting in the dark there. But it feels <laughs> like the sort of performance we get here that has got a level of subtlety to it, you would struggle to get on a stage. I think on a stage, everything has to be a bit bigger and a bit more obvious. Yeah. And I'm not sure if I would appreciate it the same amount if I was, you know, 30 feet away. Um, maybe I'm wrong. I'm sure a good theatre stage actor could just nail it, but that's why you want someone like Anthony Hopkins, or experienced screen actor, to just yes. pull that together. And Olivia Coleman, really beautiful yeah. performance as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought everyone. Oh, Imogen Poots, by the way. I love you know, Imogen, Imogen Poots. Poots. What do I know her from? Because I'm sure I recognise her. I can't. I can't um, place it. She's in a lot of quite off kilter weird films or generally quite small little indie things she was actually alan in the most recent second remake of black christmas have we watched that no (laughs) (laughs) but it's the sort of thing you might have just randomly taken it upon yourself to watch (laughs) and of course mark gatiss is here who um can go either way (laughs) but i think he i think he's i think he's perfect here he's 
he's got the whole sinister, nasty side down, but then equally, when you see him as a revealed for what he is, I, I, I won't give too blatant spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen it, but he completely plays the other, you know, flip side of the coin, com- like, perfectly. I don't know, he felt more sinister then. <laughs> really? It's, it's creepy. <laughs> Re- well, that's what I mean. I, I didn't find that, and I think that's something that would be quite easy to, to, you know. It felt like a David Lynch movie, except I didn't hate it. That's kind of... <laughs> like, imagine a David Lynch movie with actual character arcs and, like, structure <laughs> and actual, you know, writing. <laughs> Yeah, that's what this is, and then like like we say, the acting really just elevates it. So I I I really liked the father a lot. I did as well, and I was very pleased to see that Anthony Hopkins won Best Actor at the Baftas last night. At, uh, at the time of recording, okay. it is the day after the Baftas, because you know Chadwick Boseman is the favourite to win, and I think he probably will win at the Oscars, but. I do think Anthony Hopkins deserves it. I haven't seen the film that Chadwick Boseman is in, and neither to anyone else. So. He's he's fine. I've seen it. He's fine in it. But anyway, yeah, uh, that's The Father. I give it an 8 out of 10, but a, a really strong 8. Yeah, I mean, I gave it what I think is going to be a generous 9. Oh, wow. Um, but like I say, I was totally, uh, you know, yeah, on an emotional fair. level, it totally won me over and yeah couldn't fault it yeah yeah okay next up diversity wise alan using my metric here what do you think it is nomadland nope it's uh it's (sighs) judas and the black messiah what but there's loads of black people in that that's the problem they went all in on black people there's no other diversity in this film it's just Ah. black people uh, there, there are a couple of women, but that only tops are, up yes. to a total of uh, thirteen points, which is a lot more than now. But that, that's because there are also, you know, black directors and producers behind the camera, which I've accounted okay. for. Yes, Judas and the Black Messiah, another based on a true story film. Yes, there's quite a few of those in these uh, things. From producer Ryan Coogler. Uh, it's a very right, stylish yeah. film, very well made, well acted. Yeah. I can't say I enjoyed it particularly. I found it quite dull. I don't know. It, I, I just, um, I never connected with this. I, I found um, Jesse from Breaking Bad to be the most kind of compelling <laughs> character, which might be because I'm racist. Uh, <laughs> Jesse Plemons is a great actor, though. Yeah, I do. Well, I, I love something about it. Yeah, yeah. I love Jesse Plemons. And, you know, there, there's great actors in this other than him. But I found his character and what he was dealing with kind of more interesting. But then obviously they they kind of halfway through make out that oh no he is racist as well he's just a kind of different sort of racist he's just not not as evil <laughs> as racist but just a bit more societally racist i i mean i don't know look um like i say well made gorgeous cinematography it was just very dry and i found it very long and there were a lot of scenes that didn't really go anywhere. And, you know, with it being based on real life, it, it did fall prey to a lot of those traps that, you know, Trial of the Chicago 7, for example, didn't fall prey to. Just little tangents that don't really go anywhere that are just thrown in. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I think I, I was engaged with it. I, I didn't have too much of a problem with that. The, all the bits with Fred Hampton... Uh, the Daniel Kaluuya character and the and his girlfriend, I guess. I don't think they get married at any point, do they? But the the woman, his partner, all that stuff was boring, and yeah. um, I didn't feel like I really ne- needed to get into his mind because mm. for me, 
This was about Bill O'Neill, uh, the Lakeith Stanfield character. I completely agree. I was, I, I've made a note here. Is Daniel Kaluuya the lead? Because he's up for all these lead actor awards, and I, I don't think he is the lead well, in this film. I think Lakeith. Well, no, I, I, not all. In fact, in the in the Oscars, they've both been nominated as supporting actor, yeah, which bizarre, doesn't it? make any sense. Because who the hell is the lead then? <laughs> yeah, it's very weird. Because <laughs> because I could make an argument for Daniel Kaluuya to be the lead, but I wouldn't agree with it. You know yeah. what I mean? But yeah, it's so Lakeith Stanfield yeah. is definitely the lead character in this. And I like that journey, that character. I like you, yeah. you're telling the... Because the, it is the, the Fred Hampton story, but you're telling it from a just a slightly off-kilter angle, I guess, yeah. uh, with that Judas and Jesus kind of metaphor that only really comes into play in the title. It's it's all about the, the insidiousness of the FBI and all that, which you get in the yeah. Trail of Chicago 7 as well. And obviously, with recent events uh, in America, particularly, that's all. It's all good timing for all this stuff. I think it played on all those levels that it was aiming to. I found it very interesting. Again, I didn't actually know the story previously. Based on the true story, I didn't know anything about it. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't sure what was going to happen. I thought the the bits where we see William O'Neill being interviewed like on a kind of flashback sense or well, mm. flash forward sense. I don't know if that really added anything to it. Yeah, it didn't feel. Yeah. Like it brought anything to it. Um, yeah, I know what you mean. It it it, it engaged me enough. Yeah, I, I, certain scenes were phenomenally entertaining. Like the the one at the start with um, what's his name being a kind of con man trying to steal someone's car, for example. That kind mm. of thing I liked. But like you say, there were just so many scenes dotted around in between those scenes that stopped it dead for me. Yeah, well, Daniel Kaluuya's going off giving speeches and stuff, very passionate rhetoric, and that, that really worked for me. In fact, watching this and then watching Trial of Chicago 7 in one day, it really... Like it made me think like don't don't you wish that you had something that you were passionate about? Doesn't it feel like that would be a great a great thing to have? <laughs> like I appreciate this is in a quite from a negative point of view, as in they're being oppressed and fighting for freedom and everything. Alan, you know I've got that. Oh, have you? What, what's your passion? The Simpsons. I just go around talking about the Simpsons and <laughs> giving speeches on when the Simpsons went bad. What what went wrong with the writing? I do wish sometimes. Obviously, I come. I have a very comfortable background, a very comfortable life. But there is a sense of like, I wish I had something to rally against. The cause. You you're always rallying against things. Like what? You're rallying against marriage and monogamy and. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's why. Maybe that's why. That's the only sort of thing I can get passionate about because you know I'm not oppressed in any way. So I need to find something that's oppressed. <laughs> Otherwise, I feel left out. But yeah, I think. It, it does inflame a certain passion in me. These kind of films are like, yeah, yeah, go on, do it, do it. And then um, obviously I don't have that in my personal life to follow through with. Yeah, but. look, Judas and the Black Messiah is my least favourite of the Best Picture nominations this year. But I give it a sturdy 6 out of 10. And I think yeah. that speaks to the quality of you know films this year. They're all pretty solid. It, it is arguably the most Senior Sevens year we've ever had at the oscars because everything and i think this is a product of the pandemic really everything's kind of just decent you know there's, there's nothing that's you know not to spoil anything but there's there's nothing that really blew me away this year but there's nothing that i hated either it's all just kind of like yeah cool this is the the worst one for me and it's still a really well-made film i just found it far too long would have liked the edit to be tightened up a bit and so yeah six out of ten for me do you want to do you want to rate it i gave it a seven Sturdy Seven. I think we've already touched on all my preferred films. I think we're on a downhill slide. 
<laughs> really? So, uh, yeah, we'll see where we go. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a very solid seven. I enjoyed this film mm. and I think it was not made for me and I still enjoyed it. Yeah, you know, if you know what I mean. It, yeah, it's obviously not made for me although none of these films were made for me and i enjoyed a lot of them but I mean, that's an interesting point though like I, I watching something like this or the trial of chicago 7 particularly if you're in a in a more obvious uh target for that say you're a young black man living in america yeah would you do you watch judas and the black messiah and go fuck yeah i'm stirred i want to fight against the oppression that i'm still suffering now which would be fair i think or is the message of these films like Hey, look how bad it was in the 60s, all right? You don't know how good it is anymore. Because people we actually, this it used to be so much more racist. So like, let's appreciate what we got. Is that is that the sort of subtle hidden message that's being Hollywood is pumping out at the moment? Or is it is it just inflaming passion? I think it's meant to be the former. This, this is a, fil- a historic film. It's the first all-black producing team to be up for best picture ever. Oh, okay. So it's, you know, it's come from black voices and i doubt based on what ryan coogler seems to be like i doubt they would intentionally <laughs> put the latter message out but i don't know it maybe yes. it's a bit of both I and mean, i think that makes i think that makes a difference doesn't it it's coming from a place of yeah kind of um a personal passion rather than oh this will sell get this yeah. out people yeah. will, you know there's a market for yeah. this right so we're, we're now at the halfway mark for this year's film, so I'd just like to take a moment um, to apologise. <laughs> I, 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 uh, I really should uh, get the door and let Japanese Bond in, but I uh, <laughs> just not in the mood today, Alan. It's a serious. We're doing. We're dealing with diversity in serious films, so we can stay up there. <laughs> so Eddie Murphy's doing it instead. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I'd just like to take a moment to thank our Patreon subscribers. Yeah. Uh, we we have got two new Patreon subscribers uh, since we made the switch over to uh, our new tiered system recently. So big, big, huge thank you to Ryan Stewart and Luke Brown, our two new subscribers. Ooh. And... Thank you very much. Of course, we added new tiers, so we went from a £1 tier to a whole variety of tiers, and many of our people who were subscribed have already uh, stepped in and upped their pledge and, and moved up to the next tier. So I'd just like to say thanks to George Lowe's, Sam Bath, Kieran Bartlett, William Fletcher, BG, Philip Knowlton-Smith, Peter McCormick, Hunter Jameson, Trevor Boughton, Joe Johnston, Lewis, Tom Patton, and Chris Marshall, who have all... Um, stepped wow. up their pledge there it's a means a lot thank you huge thanks to everyone um for your continued support a couple of you listening right now on the live thing i, I recognize some names so. yes yes that's amazing well great thank thank you very much yeah uh, we do appreciate it and hopefully you will appreciate the uh the first of our new diminisodes which will have gone out by the time this episode goes out but for those of you listening live hasn't gone out yet <sighs> okay anyway uh next film on the list what do you think it is alan we've got four left which one do you think no is my the least yeah yeah it's no, no my, there's two people in it they're both white i mean <laughs> okay go on we've got a woman in the lead she's old but not old enough for your tick box ticking yeah uh i've got two supporting women down here so that's another two points I mean, there's more than two, but it maxes out at two. Mm. My, I think sister. there's only two people in this film. But go on. Is the lead character from an underrepresented group? Yes, she is a woman. A woman, <laughs> and she is essentially homeless. Alan, I've counted that. She is uh, a nomad. She lives in a van. She's houseless, not homeless. And there are two more points on the table because there are 
two or more uh, supporting actors who are also homeless, houseless, because mm. I, I, as I don't, I don't know if you are aware, uh, the vast majority of the people in this film were not actors; they were just kind of real people out yes. in these things that Francis McDormand that, yes. was. Yeah, uh, so that's some points there. Uh, the subject matter is, of course, about that whole community, uh, and then we've got a load of points because more than half, half or more of the producers are women. Half or more of the writers are women. The director is, of course, a woman of color. Um, so yeah, it scooped up a load of behind the camera points as well. 15 diversity okay. points for Nomadland. Let me throw some stuff out at you. First of all, I, uh, you know, the film, I enjoyed it on the level that it was working on, I think. This is, of course, the favourite to win this year. It's almost certainly going to be the winner of Best Picture. Is that right? That's yeah. interesting. It is interesting, isn't it? But then I, you know, I don't know, I don't know if any film strikes me like a, you know, oh, that should win kind of more than it. Mm. My first, I, I mean, I could tell that the most of the supporting cast there weren't actors, and I I thought, oh yeah, they've got Francis McDormand, they've taken him to this community, and they're just filming her, like see what happens, improv a bit. Yeah, I thought okay, fair enough, bit of cinema unawareate, I guess. But I didn't realise that it was unawareate until afterward. Well, they knew they were being filmed uh, for a film, so it's it's skirting exactly. the edge of unawareate. But yeah. well, that's it. But they obviously they thought Francis McDormand was a real. A houseless woman, right? I don't know. I don't know how they did it. Is that what they did? Yeah, because that's what I was reading, that she went and lived in this community, or at least... Oh, so they thought it was like a documentary? Well, I don't know what they thought, but yeah, they didn't realise that it's famous actor, or indeed an actor. They, When she's telling them the story of like, oh yeah, my husband died, did this, they think she's a real person telling them her life story. Wow, so it is true cinema unawareate. Excellent. Well, it is. But that really, when I read that afterwards, it really put a dent in it for me because, well, to, to sort of, it's not exactly a spoiler, but something happens near, quite near the end is that another guy who is a real person and lives this life basically, you know, relates to her what is a very obviously difficult thing for him to say where he's talking about the fact that his son has committed suicide and it's obviously had a massive effect on his life. Yeah, And he's saying it to her because he thinks that she's relating to him, that she's had a similar experience, that they can, they've connected and she's got to know him over a long period of time. He does know he's being filmed, yes, but to, to lie to someone, to trick them into being emotionally open with you, just seems really distasteful for the sake of making a film. I found it really disgusting. Is it tricking someone? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know if that is tricking someone that but i don't know the full details behind like how it was made and everything but i'd have to know the ins and outs of it when i when i watched it i just assumed it was like Werner herzog style and they just found real people said look we're making a film uh we're just going to kind of just be yourself and this actor's going to interact with you i kind of assumed that's what they did but that's really interesting to hear what you just said the, the what the thing i read was that that guy specifically she told him afterwards because she felt bad that you know, right. that he just come like let him let opened his heart. Well, I I guess you know how does he feel about it? Is he happy with that being in the film, or would he rather it isn't? You know, um. Well, I don't know. He must have, but I still think it's ethically uh, filthy, yeah. <laughs> basically. But I but but I guess they wouldn't. They weren't going after him, being like we're going to get him to spill his secrets to us. I imagine they were just, he just offered it up one day. I, I don't know. It's Yeah, yeah, I, I believe that as well. But they he only felt comfortable doing that because 
you know, the, the, they bonded over over whatever. But you 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 are a proponent of ghosting women that you don't get along with on uh, Tinder, aren't you, Alan? So <laughs> is that is that not relevant the same thing? This conversation? <laughs> is that not <laughs> the same you thing? You'll you'll no. form a, an intimate bond with someone and then just you know, oh, it was all a sham. I don't ghost people if I've formed an intimate bond with them. I ghost <laughs> them if we've had a brief conversation hey, and it's not going anywhere. They thought they formed an intimate bond with you. Um, well, first of all, no, they don't. Second of all, no, that's not the same. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know really know where, where you're going with this. Frances McDormand, yeah, very good. Excellent performance. I expect that of her. David Strathern, really nice. I expect that of him. Didn't blow me away because I feel like you're going to get quite a good realistic performance if you're just in the reality and improving I, I don't know i think that's a lot i mean it's hard work in the sense of sort of throwing yourself into it but i don't think it's hard work as in acting yeah but you have to be <laughs> capable of doing that and keeping up you know and not not every actor can do that i don't know i don't think it's that difficult frankly but i think it's a skill and i think it's a skill not every actor has i know what you're saying like it's it's gonna you throw yourself into that situation you're gonna unlock you know the more powerful strong emotive acting far more easily i don't think that's to say it doesn't have value if if going into a situation into a job and then pretending that you like the people there is great acting then give me an oscar because i've done it everywhere i've ever worked and so does everyone else yeah but have you done it well <laughs> they think i like them that's the i don't know i think they think you're quite standoffish look when my boss told me about his son committing suicide <laughs> <laughs> and then I snuck off to the bathroom so I could laugh at his emotional openness <laughs> behind his back. <laughs> I should have yeah, got yeah. yeah, fair enough. Uh, well, I don't do I don't do that. I just get I get very snippy and sarcastic with people at work and just kind of <laughs> let my disdain shine through. So yeah, fair play. Yeah, take, actually, take your well. <laughs> Can I ask uh, when they were filming this? Did they go to Amazon and go, hey, we're looking for like the real kind of people in a really bad situation who are desperate. Can we film in your factory? It feels like it'd be the perfect place. Because it very much just says people work at Amazon because they're absolutely desperate and there's nothing else available. Yeah, well, I think there's truth to that. But it does seem like Amazon are involved in the film beyond simple fair use. So, yeah. Talking about Amazon, they they have a film up for Best Picture this year that we haven't spoken about yet. Yes. We'll, we'll touch on that when we get there. So yeah, Nomadland. I don't have much to say about it, really. I, I thought it was a really kind of, really bog-standard kind of character piece. But you know, made well. I enjoyed it. Felt like perhaps the pieces were there to make something more than it was, but decent effort all round. Um, I'd give it a 7 out of 10. Quite a sturdy 7. I mean, I like, yeah, obviously I liked lots of elements of it. I've got a few questions about it. It is, there's a bit of a theme in the in a lot of the uh, nominees this year of like sort of gritty reality with kind of forgetting to put a story in there it's there's a lot of journeys yeah. without destinations uh that is what i've noticed that that was it i just i just needed a bit more narrative um, yeah and it didn't feel like it really was trying to tell one and i guess that's yes. fine but it's not going to connect with me yes so i gave it a six uh, i do think it's interesting that it is the the favorite to win this year i, I think it's just maybe the least divisive um right because yeah, you yeah, know the Father is a much better made film, but it's also very much about privileged white people, so that's going to piss a load of people off. Mank is that, but not as interesting. Um, the Trial of the Chicago 7, it's Aaron Sorkin, people are sick of him. You know, I, I think Nomadland is 
arguably the the film that everyone's going to be kind of like, yeah, you know, it's everyone's second or third pick, as we've spoken about yeah, in our previous yeah. Oscar. Yeah, I think you're probably onto something there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, right, next up on our diversity checklist. So this is our third most diverse film this year. Oh, yeah. What do you think it is? I think it's going to be a promising young woman. Correct. Yes, uh, it is about a, a, a woman in the lead. Um, there is a, a prominent racial minority supporting actor who is also trans. Uh, that's an extra point right there. That's the only film to tick a box there. Is there? Oh, I don't know that. Yeah, yeah, Laverne Cox. I don't know that. Is that a clue in the name? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> what? <laughs> Laverne Cox from... Uh, I, I know her from Orange is the New Black. Yeah, I knew she was in that. I've never actually seen her in anything. I don't think. Uh, there's another woman, Alison Brie. Uh, the subject matter is, of course, about uh, women's issues. <laughs> is that extra points? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's an underrepresented group. I've actually given her two there. One for it being about being a woman and one for the kind of mental health abuse aspect of it all and beyond that we have um again we've tipped boxes with a a female director writer producing team so yeah 16 points i've given this one more than nomadland yeah anyway promising young woman uh this is perhaps the only film on this list that i watched prior to hearing the best picture nominations that wasn't a sort of preemptive. Oh, that's probably going to be up for best picture. I better watch it. You just watched this because you thought you might enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. basically, yeah. <laughs> um, I guess Mank as well, but uh, the difference between this and Mank is I did actually really enjoy this one. Um, I was surprised <laughs> how much. And and when I was watching it, I sort of said like I said to my girlfriend like you know what like I bet this sneaks a sneaky best screenplay nomination. It's going to be one of those films that you know gets a little bit of love in that category but that'll be it and she was like no it won't get anywhere near the oscars it's nominated in every fucking category practically it's all over the oscars <laughs> carrie mulligan's the favorite to win best lead actress apparently so i think that is maybe a, a a sign of the year we've had and no films coming out but that's all right with me because straight up i love this film i really enjoyed it i'm surprised to find that a lot of people found the the structure off-putting i i didn't notice the structure at all personally and a lot of people didn't like the tonal shift uh particularly with the ending and again i i didn't really notice any tonal shift myself other than there's one scene that's quite comedic in a way that feels out of place but again i i went with it i enjoyed it yeah i felt like quite dark it's it's engaging with a dark sense of humor all the way through i think it's not too much yeah exactly it's it's it's, it's, it's jarring enough to be a shocking which it's supposed to be yeah Um, yeah but that's it it has had scenes like that earlier you know like mclovin for example Mm. i i kind of went into this film thinking you know this is about a woman who i i was expecting a kind of revenge you know thriller and i I was expecting a kind of this woman takes men home and murders them horror movie territory and it's not Mm. really that at all uh, which is weird because I keep hearing people who've seen it referring to it that way, and it's like, what? You do you think she was murdering all those men? <laughs> did you not? Did you not watch they the sort film? of go to great lengths to show that she doesn't? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> she does, yeah. Sort of. Yeah. They obviously haven't watched the film. So. <laughs> the farthest she goes with any of it is, uh, well, she does hire a man to kill a guy in probably my my favorite scene in the film. Actually, she does hire a hitman. 
uh, and then go to Alfred Molina's house, and he's there um, in one of his patented scene stealing <laughs> uh, kind well, of like extended Molina, cameos though, yeah, yeah. in one scene. Yeah, like in Boogie Nights when they go to his house and he just steals the film. Uh, it's the same thing here. He's a lawyer who got a load of rapists uh, off the hook on, you know, not technicalities exactly, but he, he knew better. And she goes to his house and she's basically there to, like, let a hitman in to kill him for doing awful things. And he, he just basically breaks down and he's like, I can't sleep. I, I've done terrible things, you know. Forgive me. Like, I, I don't deserve it. I'll take whatever you, you know, want to do to me. And I just, I just thought it was such an interesting... Yeah, um, the most unrealistic part of the film. Oh, it's incredibly unrealistic. A but... lawyer with a conscience. <laughs> but I like that. I like seeing Alfred Molina at the end of his tether. And I like seeing the breakdown. I, I just think he's such a good actor that he... Yeah. yeah, and it's just it's not what you're expecting, and it, and it's and the whole film. I mean, to to play into what the film's about, you know, I think throughout it's teasing this Quentin Tarantino style cathartic revenge, and it never really lets you have it. You know, it, it's it's taking it away all of a sudden, and it's kind of like, look, you really wanted to see this guy get his head bashed in, but you're not going to get that, and that's quite a hollow pursuit, and here's why, and X, Y, Z. I, I thought it well, was really well, but I, yeah. I think, I don't, that was the problem, my problem with this film. I didn't particularly like this film. I will grant you there are quite a few things to like here, but I was frustrated by the whole thing, ultimately, and I, I don't think I've ever seen a film where I just had related to the characters less. I just felt like there was nothing really? here for me at all, and I appreciate this is obviously dealing with subject matter that is going to mean a lot more to women, right? I get that. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But this this felt like the male characters in this were so one-dimensional and simplistic that I thought that it was going to be a joke, like that it was deliberate kind of like, hey, look, men have written and directed films for years and the women are crap characters, so we're going to make a film where the men are all crap one-dimensional characters. And maybe that's part of it, but I don't feel like that paid off in any way i just think it was not particularly well written uh and 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 because you know so much of it is about like oh hey oh well we do these things when we're drunk and you know how much i hate drunk people but you should have been on her side then surely she wasn't getting drunk anyway you know she was avenging her friend who wasn't oh yeah i'm not talking about her as a character but okay so her as a character i was also frustrated by again i was always just waiting for this second layer. I was waiting for it to not just be this superficial kind of vengeance thing. And it was so close to being that, so close to getting somewhere, and it never quite did. Well, I, I don't think it is a superficial vengeance thing at all, actually. I, I think, you know, I I don't like superficial revenge movies because I, I ethically really clash with them. The the likes of your, your Lucky Number Slevin, you know, films that are all about some person tracking someone down to get revenge on them you know for some wrong they did i don't believe that murdering someone in cold blood is ever justified really even if they've done horrible things to you and i i find it very taken again like there's so many of these films that i watch and morally and ethically i just can't quite get on board with them and i was very aware going into this film that i might be getting into that territory you know i spit on your grave as the the kind of obvious exploitation counterpart for this film and i think it went the other way and it did what i like which is it's a character who's pursuing vengeance but they've allowed it to kind of consume themselves to the point that they are just a kind of hollow empty shell of a person they're not who they used to be it's not going to bring them happiness ultimately 
And, you know, the, the difference is this film isn't saying that Carrie Mulligan's character is wrong to have gone down this rabbit hole. It's saying, look at the knock-on effects of what these guys did. Look at how it's fucked up people beyond, you know. Yeah, and I, I, want, I just wanted that to be explored a bit more somehow. And I never quite got what I wanted out of this. And I was always expecting something more to happen i felt like we were leading to something more and i never got that all the ingredients that were coming into place that i was like okay i'm gonna let that one off because i think it's leading somewhere and then it never went anywhere so things like alfred molina as this as a, a lawyer who is not just feeling guilty about things he's done but really knew very specifically the case she was talking about before she was even told him which is yeah. just weird like there was this one case that he, like it doesn't make any sense and then even when uh okay this is a, a spoiler alert <laughs> like as in a massive spoiler alert, it's the ending of the film when the ending of the film comes along yeah and that happens i was really like that is a great ending it's kind of the ultimate it's the ultimate uh point of her destructive journey you know yeah. she is thrashing out other people but ultimately she's She's hurting herself. She, this is all very yeah. self-destructive behavior. What she's doing, putting herself into dangerous situations deliberately, I guess hoping for something to happen. What exactly? I don't know. And that's what I mean. I don't think we ever investigate any of that. Is she, is she putting herself into these situations hoping so she can... Basically, she tells these guys off. You know, I mean, that's what she does, really. Yeah. Is she hoping one day they'll try and fight her and she'll be, have a kind of that reason to to fight back and, and actually hurt someone is she trying to do that i think the ending when she you know goes to elaborate lengths to attack this guy who you know committed this rape i i think the implication even there isn't that she's planning to murder him she's gonna like inglorious bastards him surely she's gonna yes. carve like something onto his body so that people know Her what name. he's done and he the woman the, the victim's name yeah so uh, but yeah and then so basically at that point when that happens the ending which i'm not going to quite spoil i thought this is a great ending yeah no i agree with you i had the same thought yeah but then we get this we get this extra scene that just again just ruined it for me not, not ruined it but just took the edge off for me where this this could have been a really interesting character development like and i'm and quite ambiguous like what's going on in her head it's a real study of mental health it's a study of uh, of uh, of survivor guilt and yeah you know bo burnham i mean what's that about <laughs> well i i um i really like the cast in this film and i think that did a great deal to carry me through i i would i would go so far as to say this is my favorite assembly of of actors in any of the films this year there's some good actors here but clancy brown and jennifer coolidge basically don't do anything yeah clancy brown yeah but he's there i love him uh you've got your alison brie i i really actually didn't like alison brie in this i didn't think she was very good i thought it was quite a not a crap performance but i didn't think it was a good performance i thought it was good i, I thought she showed another a side of her that it, it, i mean i'll give you it's quite a two-dimensional character but they're all they're all they're all characters are though that's yeah that's fine they're they're chess pieces you've got mclovin you've got the guy out of veep that i like <laughs> I, I i really enjoyed the cast actually and of course carrie mulligan who um i thought was great i, I also didn't think particularly she was doing a, a great a, a solid performance but didn't blow me away in any in any way i'm amazed to find she's the favorite to win the oscar for lead actress and i, I think that again i think that's a a, a a symptom of no films coming out during the pandemic more than anything and i'm still not convinced she will i think Frances mcdormand's gonna win but anyway i thought she was good though maybe not oscar worthy but 
it's not her fault she got nominated, is it? Yeah, I wouldn't hold it against her, but... I thought she played that role about as well as she could, you know? It wasn't, like... It's just that that role isn't necessarily one that... But that's it. I think... Do you know what I think this comes down to? I don't particularly like the writing. I think the writing is... Mm. I think it's kind of immature. And not in a childish way, but I just mean it's not very sophisticated writing. I think it's really basic, simple stuff. Look, I mean, look, I went into this, as I say, expecting a kind of I-spit-on-your-grave-esque revenge thriller. And I think taken through that lens, I didn't go into this expecting a Best Picture-nominated drama. Fair enough, yeah. So for me, this was like a really elevated B-movie. And mm. on that level, I think it's far surpassing the quality that I expect. Had I gone into this thinking, oh yeah, Oscar drama, Oscar buzz, then yeah, I might be a bit more critical of the... Because yeah, it is quite simplistic and two-dimensional, but I think that's okay. I don't think it's meant to be deeper than that. Yeah. Well, I, like I say, I found it really entertaining. Uh, it's my favourite film of the nominees this year, in fact. I, I give it an 8 out of 10. Mm, yeah, I found it very frustrating, and I think it's because... It's one of those experiences where, like, it's just so close to being better, and I feel like it could be better. Um, so I gave it a five, which I Ooh. think might be my worst score of the lot. That's so mean. Yeah, maybe, but that's what you get. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, actually, just to just to end with a positive note, I thought it was really nicely directed. Actually, to say I'm, mm. I'm slightly slagging off Emerald Fennel's writing, I thought it was. I thought it was without doing anything groundbreaking or trying to be clever. It just yeah. did, did the really nice. Some really nice visuals, some good framing, yeah, and all yeah, that yeah. sort of stuff. Some interesting stuff. So yeah, I was alright with that. Okay, next up, which one do you think is the second most diverse film of the year, Alan? Well, so we got two left, right? Uh, yeah. So we got. Minari, and we've got Minari, which is full of foreigners, so that's going to be loads of boxes for you. And we've got Sound of Metal, which is full of deaf people, so that's got us to tick some boxes as well. Mm. Uh, I'll think the least diverse of those is Minari. Yeah, correct. Minari. Uh, Minari, <laughs> of course, has a whole load of uh, South Korean actors and characters uh there is of course the grandma character who's over the age of 70 and uh has alzheimer's again or something is it alzheimer's i only watched this the other day she has a stroke that's it uh, so she is disabled because it affects her beyond just a you know one of thing and of course the subject matter is about the immigrant experience in america the american dream uh not to mention yeah. again the director the writers, the producers, you know, there's lots of people behind the camera there. So I gave it 19 diversity points, which is almost four times as many as Mank. Mm-hmm. Uh, Minari was yes. one of the last ones of these films that I watched. I, I, if I was a second to last film that I watched, I wasn't that impressed. Like, I, I kind of, I don't know, I thought I was going to like this film a lot more than I did, I think. All, all the way through, I was thinking, this feels like a true story that they've forgotten to turn into an actual plot. Like yeah. it is just that classic stuff. And then, you know, I, when I was reading about it afterwards, I looked at the director and it said, oh, this, this, the, the child of Korean immigrants brought up on a rural farm in yeah. Kansas or whatever. It's like, right. So you're the little kid in this film. Yeah, exactly. And this is it, just, you think this is interesting because it's about people you know and you forgot that other people don't know them. As it was going by, I was engaged by it. I found it interesting. I thought it yeah. was really well, like technically well made. The acting, the cinematography, the music, all that stuff was really good. But at the end of it, I was just left thinking, what was the point in that film? What is the purpose? Yeah. What is it trying to exactly, say? Yeah. 
And the more I thought about it, the more I was like, right, there's loads of terrible writing in that film. There's loads of stuff that just doesn't go anywhere, which is, I think, what you're saying about little things that are obviously just from true life. And it reminded me of, I, mean, I don't want to throw him under the bus, but it reminded me of someone that we went to university with who... Um, <laughs> who was making a film about his childhood and was like insistent on getting a Game Boy Advance from someone because it was the <laughs> the the game console he played on the drive to this event that the film was based on and it was just like this story that you're telling is timeless it like setting it in the year 2001 or whatever it is is pointless it doesn't gain anything by being a a, a period piece except you're making life harder for yourself because now you have to find like things of the era and, and this felt like the same thing like the the, the young child has a heart condition mm. but it doesn't like inform the character or go anywhere or, or mean anything yeah at best it is a really like imminent ticking clock on the um the kids like health that means that like the parents have to kind of watch over it i mean i don't know it's just another form of stress in their lives and yeah yeah but it just it doesn't and there's so many details like that that just don't go anywhere i mean frankly the fact that it's set again it's a period piece i don't think that really gives it anything i think you could make this film set now and it'd be the same film wouldn't it yeah i don't know is the farming community in america different now i, I don't know but probably probably don't get any small farms anymore but also it wound me up because it was just like there's this guy who's just trying to do something with his life he wants to do something a bit less boring than looking at chickens asses look i i will tell you alan being a chicken sexer is one of the best paid jobs in the world certainly in the uk <laughs> like there's a shortage of chicken sexes anyone who wants to do that i think it's a bit more depressing than in the film i think you're literally like chucking chicks into like an incinerator <laughs> i just you go right that one's male it's fine uh, no, sorry that one's female it's fine oh this one's a man chuck it into the grinder blood splits up because that's it they they just go through killing all the uh the male chickens which i don't think they yeah. do they mention that in this film it's a pretty grim no, aspect really, of no. the uh meat industry <laughs> that you know they try and keep on a on the dl but that job in particular is really well paid because there's a shortage because no one wants to be the person who you know assigns thousands and thousands of little cute fluffy chicks to a, a grisly pointless <laughs> death every day and you know it's production line work it's dull it's boring and it really takes a toll on people's mental health, apparently, more than typical abattoir work. So it, you, you get paid a good, like, 40 grand starting salary for that, more if you, um, that's UK money, more if you, um, you know, do it well. What annoyed me about it was that, like, he's just trying to do something and perhaps he's a little bit naive about what he needs to get out there. He's very much like of the attitude, like, I'll just get out and try it, it'll be fine. But he's working hard. And then it's just his wife is just like a constant thorn in his side. <laughs> Just going, oh, this is shit. He seems to have at least put some thought into it, although it doesn't seem to be sharing that with his wife particularly. She kind yeah. of just gets taken by surprise that they're living in a trailer. And then he, he he says, oh, well, look, I'll do a compromise. I can have my farm, you can have your mother here. And obviously, <laughs> And then the mother turns up, she's total degenerate. <laughs> <laughs> she starts teaching the kids how to gamble all that she was and she's the only sort of the the, the funny one in the whole thing and yeah, yeah. I actually so she, I, and the acting in general was good but you know the grandma oh, yeah, 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 really very good. pulls it all together very few performances from these films struck me as being 
incredible, you know? There's very few I'd point to as like, oh, give them the Oscar. And again, I think maybe that's a sign of the year we've had. I don't know, I, I think the grandma in this film would uh, be up for an Oscar in a typical year. I don't know if she'd be the favourite to win it. Uh, she almost certainly is going to win. Yoo Jung Yoon is her name. I don't know, I'm looking at the nominees now for Supporting Actress. We've got uh, Yoo Jung Yoon, Maria Baklava from Borat 2, Amanda Seyfried, Glenn Close, Olivia Colman. Out of those, I'd give it to Olivia Colman, but I, I appreciate that, you know... I don't have much to say about Minari. Have we, have we rated it? No. We haven't, have we? No, I, I, I give it a 6 out of 10. I, I think it was really pleasant to watch Let It Wash Over Me, but as I say, I just don't think there was a, a real depth or purpose to it, or a point yes. that it was making. Uh, yeah, I also gave it a 6. Uh, feel largely similar. Okay, well that leaves us with our final film of this discussion, the most diverse of the bunch, Sound of Metal, which I gave 21 diversity points on my little checklist here, Alan. Do you want to take a stab at what some of those are? Uh, there's a woman in it? Yes, yes, there's uh, there's multiple women in it. Is there? Only one prominently. Only... Yeah, there's only one proper real character. There's the um, friend of his that he kind of makes. Yeah, who have like two lines each. Yeah, yeah. And and I will say, you know, I, I there's a lot of the people at that deaf community who i haven't included here because they're essentially just extras there's a blind yeah. man for example and i i thought well i'm not including him on the checklist as a blind character because he's he's basically an extra um he doesn't do anything in the film there's a deaf dancer who is uh, a person of color and um again he doesn't really i think he's got one line so i just thought that doesn't count <laughs> but anyway yeah we i'll tell you i'll go through it we've got riz ahmed he is of course an asian man and he is a practicing Muslim. That's two points right there. Uh, we've got, of course, m- multiple deaf characters, uh, yeah. one more prominently than others. We have a supporting character who is, um, it would appear to be a lesbian, outwardly, so I've included that. We have <laughs> yeah. multiple deaf actors being used for these roles. I think the guy who is um, the main guy in the uh, deaf cult, he's not actually deaf, I don't think. Paul Ritchie. Yeah, I don't think he's deaf, is he? No, he he is um, Paul Ratchie. Mm. Paul Ratchie is uh, perfectly able hearing. Yeah, but his parents were deaf, so he's he was brought up in... Yeah, he was raised by deaf parents. He knows sign language, sound so that's... Language, yeah. uh, he is, of course, up for Best Supporting Actor. Is he? Really? Well, that's what I thought, because <laughs> like, I, I was expecting... When I first saw him, I was expecting this big show-stopping performance. I was expecting a real... Oh my god, what a revelation this guy is. Where have they been hiding him? And I, I don't really get it, because he's he's good, don't get me wrong. It's kind of what we said about everyone. He's he's very good in this film, but it doesn't go that extra mile. It doesn't jump out at me and make me think, wow, this guy is... Well, he's not really called on to do anything. Exactly, exactly. Like, I'll tell you what, though, and I, maybe this is deliberate. Basically what happens, this guy he goes deaf until he gets sent to this deaf retreat because he's also an addict. Um, so it's like a safe space for them. They all live in a little community, whatever. I, I I can't tell if this was deliberate or not, but that place seemed like a cult, and he seemed like a very creepy cult leader who did not necessarily have <laughs> the best interests of the Riz Ahmed character at heart. Yeah, was that deliberate, was... or was that just my read of it? I don't know. I, I've seen takes on this. so you know, Because it's certainly not revealed to be anything. As you say, he, he goes deaf. Very immediately, very quickly. Yeah, it's a sudden on... It just happens. Is that a real thing? I don't know. I think so, yeah. Um, He just mm-hmm. sort of goes deaf out of the blue one day. 
and it you know his hearing deteriorates and he goes to the doctor they say look we can rebuild stronger better faster than before and they say like look we'll put an implant in your head and you can hear again but it's gonna cost you yeah we should be clear this this film takes place in a country that um uh, doesn't take care of people's health care only rich people get to be to be healthy. He's basically it's pie in the sky the way the film presents it. He can't get that money together. Although it's not all, he gets it together really very quickly. I know, yeah. Well, that's it. it it's <laughs> it's sort of like, hang on, why didn't you just when he gets the money together? It's like, oh, why didn't you do that earlier? <laughs> like, why why have you been acting like this isn't doable? Um, you know, he he does have to give up everything uh to get yeah. that money together but you know but yeah anyway the point is this treatment is on the table but then he goes to this church sponsored community of deaf people to live with them and the guy kind of says look here we don't treat being deaf as a disability it's it's just a difference you know we you can't act like you're trying to get better and treat yourself because and i do get that like he's around other people who don't have that option don't be you know bragging about how you're going to be hearing again in four weeks or whatever fair enough on the other hand yeah it's quite detrimental to this guy's health but even even before that it starts off with him he's obviously he's freaking out not just because he's going deaf but also it's a it's it's going to affect his entire life but it's his livelihood he's a drummer musician so you know it's and he's and he's not a big musician you know he's he's a musician he's a jobbing musician scraping a living be on the tour you know on on his little uh, in his rv touring every day playing the drums and yeah they're scraping by but then but then the first thing they do is separate him like you said like this woman who has been your support for four years and has obviously you've been clean off drugs for four years so it's obviously been a positive aspect in your life you can't see her and you're gonna have to be separated from her like that does not make any sense at all you're going through an extremely traumatic experience and as someone who is a former addict like that is a triggering point don't take away your one emotional support no telephones allowed at the retreat i would kind of understand that if it was a rehab center because they do that i don't know it was i i don't really it but that that was that was the whole film that was my problem with the whole film all these elements that just like hang on does that really make any sense and we never get to anything so like there's a whole bit about so they take him off and all i'm interested in is like well what's happened to her because she was obviously reliant on him for emotional support as well you know they're obviously like in this kind of yeah 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 this this, uh you know this couple that they're working something through and then that finally comes back near the end but we don't really explore that it's just like well she's moved on it's been what six weeks or something she's moved on mate i'm surprised you didn't like that because it's the kind of thing you're into where characters sort of say look we're not right for each other anymore we were for this brief time this point in time let's just call it a day there and we had a good time and it was a beautiful thing and that's the end of it i understand that and (laughs) the fact that she kind of she was had this life on the road and it was kind of exciting and then as soon as she came away from it she's like hang on now this is pretty comfortable actually this life she's a privileged yeah. rich you know white girl with a rich dad who yeah that's kind of and i i think that is an interesting place but i think that's a center point i think the whole bit with the deaf cult in the middle didn't add anything and then given that the film ends about 45 seconds after the that happens mm. um with no real ending that interesting I, element doesn't get explored. I I, I agree. It, it, to me, it felt like there's two different films here, and they're kind of not giving either one of them um, yes. the full yes. attention that it deserves. I think the first half of the film, when he loses his hearing, is um, phenomenally you know gripping stuff. But it's it's like a horror movie. It's terrifying. It's like, what if this happened to me? It's it's horrible. But then, yeah, when they kind of get into the to the commune and he's you know 
enjoying things you know it's nice and the acting is good and and there's you know a, a, it's very engaging stuff but i agree there are a lot of elements where you are questioning if it's something based on reality or just a weird contrived aspect of the writing the mm. telephone thing for example and then suddenly he does just get the money together he sells his belongings is rv and then he seems to arrange and have surgery and only meet the doctor for about 45 seconds uh, from what they can tell and then when they turn him on it's like oh by the way uh, oh we should have mentioned this before it might not even be that good like we sh- we probably should have had this conversation before there probably yeah, been like, and- quite an extensive pre-medical procedure here that we apparently don't have but then it's america so you never know that might just be the way they do it 40 grand cheers yeah i'll do it i think they did have it but he wasn't listening alan because <laughs> they they do do that there's there's a point early on in the film where he's consulting with a doctor and then he tells olivia cook what the doctor said and it's it's not really accurate it's the gist of what he said but he's you know obviously not and because he's deaf you know he's not going to pick it all up so it is possible that that uh that's what happened there but it was just frustrating it's like like obviously the character is a bit of a mess well i i, I will say i really liked the way he responds to going deaf because i found it painfully real <laughs> it's like I yeah think yeah that, that's sort of I'm, <laughs> but, he do- but, yeah yeah but I, I think that's probably what i do he doesn't like he doesn't tell anyone oh i can't hear he tries to just go on like nothing's happened and get through a day and then it's still a problem do you know what i mean he, he leaves it a good while um <laughs> and tries to act like nothing's wrong and I found that quite... It was annoying, but I found it very real, very relatable. I think a lot of people are like that, men mm. in particular. And mm-hmm. um, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I did. I really like the sort of first half, as I say. But then um, there's all these elements. The fact that surgery is on the table kind of caught me off guard. I didn't think he was going to get his hearing back. The second they went down that path, I knew exactly what the film was going to do, like down to the final moment i knew it was going to be like right okay he's gonna spoiler alert everyone but i i knew it was going to be oh he kind of decides he doesn't want his hearing because <laughs> it's better without somehow and I, and, I, and i don't know if that is the point exactly i think the point is more that he's you know learning to accept who he is and what he is and, and it's you know i'm sure he'll turn the hearing back on it's just that he, he can't yeah, it it's just be you've got to get used to it i think it's yeah I, that that final moment, I think it's more like sometimes it's nice to turn the world off a little bit. Um, mm. Yeah, I don't know really what it's saying, <laughs> to be honest. You know, obviously if the cochlear implants and all that, it might it might yeah. not give you perfect hearing, but it's going to be some sort of close approximation, I guess. That even in the film, when he hears it, it it's like when we have Connor on the show. It's that degree of like <laughs> wonky audio, but it, yeah, it's tinny. It's like a robot talking. But well, that's fine. Like I'd I'd take that over being deaf, wouldn't you? It's yeah, like yeah. it's not great, but it it'll you know, I'd definitely take it as an improvement. And and I did do a bit of reading into this and some people with cochlear implants have, have weighed in on the film and one that I saw was very offended by it and felt like the film was vilifying implants, which I I, I don't think is the intent. I think they kind of misread it, but I can see how they misread it. I don't think that's the intent either, but I think the intent is so missed yeah it's it's easily misinterpreted but they did make the point that there's no way in hell the doctors would discharge him and he'd walk all that way the day after surgery and he also made the point that his cochlear implants (laughs) let him hear perfectly fine like normal hearing yeah 
Um, I guess it depends so. what's going on. But I like how the the doctor the doctor turns the implants on and we hear it, and th- that's part of the sound design. We sort of hear what he's hearing. The sound design, by the way, is impeccable. Um, this that's where this film's going to win the Oscar, and I think yeah. rightly so. Which makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And and it's not you know it's not that the film's doing anything experimental or remarkable it's just like it's rare that a film really calls on the sound design to do as much lifting as it does here Mm. but but it it, it is slightly beyond that i think it's not just as straightforward as what we see on screen being you know even before he goes deaf there there is a subtlety to the the sound design that i think is unusual for a film like this you know when they're driving in the rv on their way to a gig there's a lot of background driving noise and stuff mixed in there that you wouldn't normally get in a film and i I think that's intentional it's like you know here's all the noise that you're not going to get once Mm. deafness hits so i yeah i think the it's a rare case where the sound design is the the most impressive part of a film it's very rare that i think people come away saying that um so yeah absolutely deserved the nomination in that category but there, there is the scene where the doctor turns the implants on and the sound's a bit off and he's like oh no it's really tinny and she she changes something and he goes oh yeah that's that's still pretty bad she changes and then she changes something else he goes yeah it's still a bit tinny and she's like look just get used to it all right now get out <laughs> i don't know if that is like that doesn't feel like that's very realistic but oh, again yeah. it's america maybe his money ran out so <laughs> what i thought was going to happen there was i thought he was going to go Look, would you, can I just come round and do it? And then because yeah, like, I he, thought he, that as well. Uses a soundboard, right? <laughs> exactly. I thought genuinely. I thought he was gonna like up the treble and play, you know, put the bass down like he's playing on his mixing board that we've seen him do. Because yeah. the film starts with him spraying air, you know, aerosol air in the grooves on his mixing board. I thought like, oh, he's gonna use it, you know, and get back to music. And but no, I, I thought it was, you know, I thought it largely works. I feel like we've been quite negative. I think for the most part, the film works. It's just a bit messy, you know. Yeah too much going on with lack of focus the acting is good i know you're a big fan of riz ahmed aren't you alan i always kind of forget that i like him when i haven't seen him in stuff for a while and think oh he's not that good and then i watch him in something and i'm like no he is actually pretty good i take it back yeah fair (laughs) enough (laughs) Um, and i I kind of had that experience from it Uh, yeah it, it just it was an odd one i did enjoy it i i felt like the pieces were here for a better film but yeah, fine. I give it a seven out of ten anyway. That's that's what I'm. <laughs> that's what I'm building. Yeah, to I mean, I uh, I'm a bit more negative because I think it's similar to a promising young woman. I was just sort of frustrated. It felt like we're kind of close to having something here, and then ultimately it just doesn't kind of go really. It doesn't it, it doesn't explore what it's talking about. I found that with a lot of these films, um, in terms of very superficial one layer type stories. Anyway, I give it a five out of ten. Well, but like, yeah, there are there's definitely things to like there. What's your favourite of the year then? The Father, by quite a long way. I mean, The Father's my second favourite. I'd go Promising Young Woman slightly ahead of it, but there's not a lot in it. I really like both of them. Then Trial of the Chicago Seven, Nomadland, Sound of Metal, Mank, Minari, Judas, is my ranking. Um. I think it's a remarkably solid year for the Oscars, to be honest, to say that, like like I keep saying, we had a pandemic and nothing came out. And as I say, I, I do keep a little list of um, the Best Picture nominees each year that I've seen, and I um, average out the scores, add them all up and divide them by the number of films there. So what's that, Alan? Is that a mean or a median or a mode? 
That's a mean. And I'll tell you right now, uh, this is... It's my 24th <laughs> favourite year at the Oscars out of um, 43 that I've seen enough films to qualify. I, I, I only count when I've seen three or more. But, as I say, <laughs> that is equal to the films of uh, 2015... Sorry, the films of 2014, Oscars 2015, where I also gave them an average score of 7 out of 10, which is what the average score is this year. And that's also... The same as 1972's Oscars that I give an average of 7 out of 10. <laughs> and 1963's. Mm, so so my point is... 2005's. My point is... <laughs> this is as solid a year as any. It's not the best, but it's not the worst. Yeah. And I think that's surprising. To go out, Alan, you you placed bets on our Diminisode. Um, I that did, we put yeah. out When we were talking about the nominations... Yeah, before we saw them. Uh, for anyone who's who's listening to this, uh, who wants to hear our, our Diminisodes, our little bonus episodes, as I say, we did one for the nominations when they came out. We will be doing one, I imagine, discussing what ends up winning. And there's a load of other stuff there. Patreon.com forward slash Dim Returns, where you can get that stuff. Dead cheap and that. And you're helping us out as well. But yeah, you placed a load of bets in our Diminisode that we did. Yeah. And now I think I'm going to have a look at... A betting site and i'm gonna decide what i should put on because i haven't put any money down yet uh so you when you looked at that carrie mulligan was the favorite to win uh best lead actress was she not hang on let me get my bets up and i can tell you what i what i had i believe she was because i said oh put it on francis mcdormand then because i think she's gonna win you did yeah yeah oh interesting now francis mcdormand's odds have gone even lower alan Right. From the look of it. Carrie Mulligan is the favourite to win. Viola Davis is now second. I, I believe she won at the BAFTAs. That's probably why. I, I still like that Frances McDormand call there. I think... I don't know. I, I think I think the Oscars like Frances, don't they? I got Frances McDormand at 4-1. to one. She's now 7-2. to two. So yeah, those odds have come down. And it is pretty close is, there. Is that more money or less money? I don't know how odds work. I can't... I can't tell. <laughs> you would, yeah, you would win less. I think I'm going to put some money down on Francis. I, I think she's a good shout there. What about Anthony Hopkins for lead actor? Because Chadwick Boseman's still very much the favourite. Chadwick Boseman is like massive odds-on favourite here. Although I, I got Anthony Hopkins at ten to one. He's now six to one. So damn it, I got a good price. Damn it, because he, he won the BAFTA. But the BAFTAs do have a massive British bias, and you know. For best picture, I've got Nomadland at one to five here. Massive favourite. Uh, one to, five to one on, so it's going to be Nomadland by the looks of it. I think I'm going to put some money down on Anthony Hopkins and Francis McDormand, which are both outside shots, and I'm probably going to regret it, but you've got to make outside bets to for it to be worth your time, haven't you? <laughs> um, Alright, so that's the Oscars. Done. Cool. Another Oscars special. Um, should we, should we figure out, Alan, how many points on this diversity checklist diminishing returns gets <laughs> let's not do that let's not highlight <laughs> our lack of diversity <laughs> well we get a point for the characters we got japanese bond uh he's japanese of course senior sevens is a mexican is he japanese <laughs> i don't know no one really knows i'm having my suspicions <laughs> he's over the age of 70 that's true yeah he's dead technically I mean. That's a, that is the ultimate disability. Okay, we we would not score very well on that. I think it's safe to say, Alan. We will do a little diminisode on what wins, won't we? I imagine. Yeah, we'll have a quick pump one out, quick wrap up of it. Yeah. And for those of you not listening live, those of you uh, listening to the episode as it goes out, do come back next week because 
uh, we we played a, a hilarious April Fool's prank on you guys uh, recently for April Fool's Day, where we put out a Casino Royale episode, and and we implied it was the Daniel Craig film, but then it was the shitty 1960s spoof film. And sorry to make you wait a whole month for the real one, but next episode is the actual Casino Royale, so that's one you're going to enjoy. And it's a good episode, actually. It was um, a lot less silly than I was expecting. A lot more proper film analysis going on. But, like, good, good film analysis. So, come back. Next, next fortnight. Next, not next week. The week after next. For more Diminishing Returns. Ooh. Hey. Thank you for listening, everyone. 